Welcome to the Immortal Souls Podcast, where we explore the history, stories, myths, legends, and hype that make shoes what they are today. We are Jared and Nick, two brothers with a passion for shoes. We are excited to have you along for the journey. An idiom is a word or most commonly, a phrase in which the figurative meaning is different than the literal meaning. So basically, you are saying one thing, but you're meaning something else. A common term for this type of phrase or saying is a figure of speech. Idioms, or figures of speech, are found across nearly all languages, and there are estimated to be at least 25,000 idioms in the English language alone. Idioms have fascinating histories, and they no doubt add to the cultural and literary complexity of a language. And yes, even our favorite topic, shoes, are found in a bunch of different idioms. So, if you aren't quite in the loop with your shoe idioms, don't fret. We're here to help you learn the ropes. How about you ride shotgun with us as we cut to the chase and chew the fat with some of our favorite shoe idioms. All right, so I can get us all off on the wrong foot with our first shoe idiom, which is getting off on the wrong foot, or sometimes people say right foot. Bloomsbury International actually offers two possible origins for the saying get off on the wrong foot. One possibility is that it comes from the military, where when people are marching, they usually start off with the left foot, which kind of ties into the second possibility, which some people feel is more likely, uh, which stems from the superstitious belief that the left is sinister, which interestingly enough is Latin for left as opposed to right or bad or evil. So meaning if a person rises from bed and they place their left foot on the floor first, they have started the day off badly. The word sinister also has a very long history of meaning. Several cultures actually believe in this superstition that the left side of anything was usually bad or evil. Well, Nick, I think you actually got off on the right foot, if you ask me. There was nothing flat-footed about that last uh, little little segment that you did. <laughs> hey <laughs> Dad jokes, right? Alrighty, so next up on the list, I'm going to talk about Goody Two Shoes. And I'm guessing, okay, uh, just to back up a little bit, uh, I think most of these idioms, uh, most of you listeners out there probably have heard about. There might be one or two that you haven't, but I think most of these that we're picking are fairly common figures of speech. But I know as we were doing research for these, I found it pretty interesting uh, just seeing kind of the origin of where some of these came from. And uh, on a few of them, you know, we'll talk about these later on, how they actually started off meaning one thing and they kind of morphed over time to mean something else. Anyways, we'll get into all that later on. Back to Goody Two Shoes. So Goody Two Shoes is somebody who's always doing the right thing to the point that they come off as being smugly virtuous. And 
there's actually a little bit of discussion as to when or where this phrase actually came about. But I think most people agree that it originates from a children's story published by John Newbery in London in 1765 called, quote, The History of Little Goody Two-Shoes. And this story is about a poor orphan girl. Her name was Marjorie Meanwell. And she went about her life with only one shoe. And at some point, a rich gentleman gives her a gift of another shoe. And Marjorie was so excited about the gift that she went around telling everybody that she had two shoes. And the story popularized the phrase goody two shoes as kind of as I have described earlier, a way to describe someone who's just always doing something right, someone who always follows the rules to the point that it actually becomes kind of annoying. Uh, just a little more context to the phrase, as far back as the 1500s, so this is quite a while before the children's story was published, the term goody was actually a polite term that was used to address a poor married woman, goody being a shortened version of the word good wife. So building on that, goody two-shoes was a depreciative term for a lower class woman or a woman with lower class tastes and manners. Of course, the male equivalent of goody two-shoes was good man two-shoes. And it's kind of interesting. So, you know, this is one of those cases where the phrase started off as being more or less a positive or, or a polite way to address certain folks. But over time, the saying kind of picked up that negative connotation, you know, of somebody who is annoyingly dutiful and behaved when it actually started off kind of positively. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Number three on our list is get cold feet. A person is said to be getting cold feet when, after previously committing to a plan, they ultimately decide not to carry out that planned course of action. So the Oxford English Dictionary attributes the earliest usage of cold feet in this sense to the writer and poet Stephen Crane, who, in the 1896 edition of... Maggie, A Girl on the Streets, a piece by him, Crane wrote, he says, quote, I knew this was the way it would be. They got cold feet. That is, they lost courage or enthusiasm. So by the early 1900s, this phrase was being used all over on college campuses and in everyday life. And then a few years later, the term cold footer was actually applied to those who were afraid to fight in World War I. Now, the wartime usage of cold feet has led some to claim that the phrase once referred to soldiers whose frostbitten toes prevented them from entering a battle. The term actually appeared long before the war and in a context that had nothing to do with the weather. The phrase also comes up twice in a popular German novel by Fritz Reuter, published in 1862, and both times, the term cold feet was part of a joke. In one case, the person losing his nerve or getting cold feet is a shoemaker. So some people think that it's possible that English speakers might have translated the German idiom word for word into English. But on the other hand, it might even have a longer history than that. Ben Johnson uses a similar expression in his play Volpone from 1605, where he referred to a Lombard proverb, cold on my feet, which meant to have no money. And so at least in a gambling context, having no money 
could have led a card player to get cold feet and leave the game. So lots of theories as to the origins of getting cold feet that no one can really decide on, but it looks like in one way or another, the phrase has been around for a few hundred years. And speaking of muddy origins, that leads perfectly into our next idiom, and that is the phrase two left feet. So if someone says you have two left feet, they are saying that you're clumsy. And I think the idea is that having two left feet would throw you off balance and cause you to stumble due to your feet not being symmetrical. Now, similar, Nick, to the what you just talked about, getting cold feet, not much is known about the origin of the two left feet saying either. Other than that, it, I guess people agree that it's a relatively new phrase, probably came about sometime in the early 20th century. And when people say two left feet, usually they're referring to themselves or somebody else who can't dance very well. So... I think it's very safe to say that I myself have two left feet, especially when it comes to dancing. I'm right there with you. And then that leads right to our next phrase, and that is put your foot in your mouth or to put a foot in one's mouth. So this basically means to say something that you wish you wouldn't have said. Uh, Usually it's when somebody accidentally or maybe unintentionally says something that's embarrassing or maybe offensive or causes an awkward situation. Now, this saying we do know a little bit more about, and it dates back to the 1800s from the phrase, put a foot in it, which meant to say something embarrassing while speaking. So kind of the, the same meaning. Now, eventually people started using the term foot in mouth And the joke was that somebody who routinely said like tactless or embarrassing things, that they had foot in mouth disease. This, of course, being a playoff of foot and mouth disease, which is a actual disease that affects cloven footed animals. I think like cows and, you know, sheep and goats and stuff like that. And also little kids when you rent those blow up houses. (laughs) Good point. That are, you know, literal farms for all sorts of germs and bacteria. So, right. Well, and I think sometimes it's even referred to what, uh, not foot and mouth, but like hoof and paw. I've I've heard and and, or yeah, yeah. Something like that. I don't know. Next on our list is the term wait for the other shoe to drop, which. When you think about it a little bit, it's pretty self-explanatory. This one means to basically wait for an event that is expected to inevitably happen due to it being linked to another event that has already happened. When you look into the etymology of this phrase, a lot of sources will refer to the tenements of New York's of of excuse me, of New York City in the late 19th and early 20th century. Apartments were built, you know, right on top of each other. Uh, Bedrooms were often on top of one another with extremely thin walls, very resonant floors and ceilings. And so it was really common uh, to hear your upstairs neighbor take off a shoe and drop it on the floor and then repeat the action. And so it eventually became shorthand for basically when you're waiting for something that you know is coming. Pretty simple, pretty pretty modern as well. Seems like this one hasn't been around much longer than maybe a hundred years or so. 
Next up on our list is pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And this means to... Now, full disclosure, I actually did not know exactly what this meant before researching this a little bit. But to pull yourself up by your bootstraps basically means to to accomplish a task or to overcome a problem without anybody's help. It also can mean to succeed in something by your own efforts or abilities. The earliest uh, time that this phrase was used was in a newspaper article in 1834, and a man by the name of Nimrod Murphy. How's that for a name? Love it. Nimrod Murphy. He claimed that he had discovered perpetual motion. So, you know, the claim was preposterous at the time. And so in response to this claim, a newspaper mocked poor Nimrod by saying, quote, Probably Mr. Murphy has succeeded in handing himself over the Cumberland River or a barnyard fence by the straps of his boots. Now, the idea here was that while you can use your boot, you can use your bootstraps to pull your boots onto your own feet, you can't use those bootstraps to pull your whole body over anything. And that was basically implying that what Mr. Murphy claimed was both ludicrous and an impossible task. Now, What's interesting to me is in the early 1900s, the meaning of this phrase shifted from describing something impossible or ludicrous to something that's difficult but achievable. And other than versions of this phrase showing up in early 20th century literature, we don't really know exactly how or why this shift in meaning happened. Uh, People have been referring to pulling themselves up with their bootstraps to mean something achievable for quite a long time now. And it's kind of interesting that the original meaning, um, you know, kind of the the irony of this is that I think the the original meaning of the phrase is lost on most people these days. So, yeah. So nowadays, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps or the related phrase bootstrapping is generally understood as a positive thing. And it definitely doesn't have the original connotation of something that is ludicrously impossible or unachievable. Next up, if you've ever heard the term shoe-in, you might have been like me, and maybe not, but I apparently have been misunderstanding this idiom for my whole life because the next, so shoe-in is interesting because once I started looking into it, I discovered that it actually has nothing at all to do with shoes. And Jared, I don't know, maybe you already knew this, but (laughs) it's an entirely different type of shoe spelled S-H-O-O like when you shoo a fly away, rather than S-H-O-E, like the shoes on your feet. But I thought this was interesting enough that we are still going to talk about this for a minute because I figured I couldn't possibly be the only person who had been mishearing or maybe misinterpreting shoe in for all these years. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I have always assumed it was S-H-O-E. So, Nick, enlighten us. (laughs) <laughs> well, I always just assumed that, you know, shoe-in meant that it was something, I knew it was, you know, that something was an easy fit or a natural fit, um, but I just assumed it was, you know, referring to, say, slipping your foot into a shoe that fits you well or something like that. Um, but now that I know the real meaning, it makes a lot more sense. So the phrase actually originates back in around 1908 in the world of horse racing. And it was used in a piece of literature referring to a race that was seemingly won through a prearranged setup where the other horses slowed down or fell back and the winning horse almost seemed to be pushed or shooed in 
to the finish line. Like it was being urged on by the other jockeys. And so now it's come to be used for everything from, you know, I'm sure still in horse racing, maybe, but from business to politics and sports, really anytime there seems to be an easy winner at any sort of contest or, you know, election or promotion, whatever. So um, that is the actual meaning. It has its roots back in horse racing and it's an entirely different shoe. Um, But it's kind of weird though, because, you know, we still all kind of get the gist of what it means, even if we're totally misinterpreting the origins of the phrase itself. So I thought that was kind of, that was kind of interesting. Yeah, that's super interesting. And yeah, I had always thought that it was, you know, S-H-O-E. And so, hey, you learn something new every day, right? Right, exactly. (laughs) Well, next up is bet your boots. And that simply put means to be sure or certain of something. And it's basically a more colorful way to say yes or without a doubt. But seeing as that there's a gambling connotation to it, I think it goes beyond just being certain. I think it means more that you are so certain of a particular outcome that you're willing to risk everything on it. Um, So bet your boots is actually a variant of several different phrases with pretty much the same meaning that start with bet your. So for example, you know, I'm sure you've heard of bet your life, bet your bottom dollar or bet your booty, for example. And one of the first recorded usages of the bet your phrase is bet your bottom dollar. And this actually originates from America. So in a poker game, the bottom dollar is the bottom coin in a pile of coins on the table. So a player that is so confident that they will win their hand, they'll bet their entire pile of coins by pushing the pile to the center of the table using the bottom dollar or the bottom coin. And in September of 1856, a newspaper printed a quote that concerned choosing a presidential candidate at the time. And the quote read, I'm going to vote for you, James Polk. You can bet your bottom dollar on that. Okay, so last up on our list of shoe slash foot idioms is the term shoestring budget. Now, this Of course, I think everyone understands that shoestring budget describes a budget with extremely limited resources, small budget. But you could say that etymologists are still tied up over the exact origin of the idiom shoestring budget. So the easiest explanation would be that the phrase came about because shoestrings were one of the few items that New York City's struggling immigrants had to barter with or sell in the beginning of the 20th century. That's what some sources say. Thus, surviving off of a shoestring budget could have been taken quite literally. Another theory that the American Heritage Dictionary of Idioms offers up places the origin of shoestring budget in British prisons. It's known that prisoners used to use their laces to dangle their shoes out of cell windows in hopes that passerbys would toss their spare change in their shoes. So they were definitely, you know, living on a shoestring, but begging in this fashion was reportedly so common in England's Newgate prison that one of the prison's wards was actually nicknamed the shoe. While this explanation makes for an interesting story, the American Heritage Dictionary of Idioms actually thinks that it's probably nothing more than a fanciful, romanticized theory. 
Regardless of the actual origin of the phrase, everyone seems to agree that shoestring budget just makes sense. You think skinny shoestring, skinny budget, boom. There you have it. Easy. And that really ties up our list of shoe and foot idioms. There's so, so, so many more. Um, But these were just the few that caught our eye the most. And um, yeah, Jared, do you have any any final thoughts before we sign off here? Yeah, I guess I'll just kind of, you know, follow in your footsteps, Nick. And um, one step at a time. One one step at a time. Um, Yeah, no, you know, like you said, Nick, uh, we really just kind of scratched the surface. You know, there's actually, it's interesting as you kind of get into the research of it all, just idioms that mention shoes of some sort or footwear or feet, there's a lot of them out there. You know, I mean, we just, the 10 that we did, like that was without even hardly thinking about it. I mean, you know, just to rattle off a few, I mean, there's other ones, you know, shaking in your boots, you know, big shoes to fill what else you know daddy needs a new pair of shoes bossy boots (laughs) Uh, bossy boots uh you know shoot yourself in the foot um but yeah i mean again i guess the idea being that idioms are they're really one of the more interesting parts of speech and i especially geek out about them because when i was in undergrad college my major was actually linguistics and in linguistics you know it's all about language all about the ins and outs of language you know about um, phonetics and syntax and you know the the roots of languages and the history and all of that stuff and idioms have always fascinated me because well just for the very fact that as we had said in the beginning of this episode the literal meaning is something often very different from the implied meaning. And I think it's uh, figures of speech and sayings like, like these idioms that really just add not just to the language, but I think it adds to the overall culture. You know, it just, it just adds a richness and a depth, uh, you know, to language and speaking and culture that, that otherwise wouldn't be there. Um, And, you know, it just shows how, how awesome and how complex language really can be, you know, that more often than not, language is not a straightforward thing. You know, there's so many, um, you know, double meanings and nuances and, you know, as we've talked about today, idioms and, you know, figures of speeches and irony and all sorts of things. So anyways, I love this topic. I could talk about it for a long time, but I don't want to bore people. So No, I absolutely agree. And I think just the mere fact that you can take even a quick look at, you know, all of the, at some of the idioms in the English language and the fact that there's so many that have to do with shoes and feet, that's pretty telling right there about talking about the role that shoes play in a culture, even down to the language that we speak. And, uh, you know, that's, that's why we do a podcast on shoes. We're, you know, thankful for all you listeners out there. We're thankful that we get to, you know, do this podcast, have this platform, have a little bit of fun. Um, we're thankful for, you know, all of the, all of the good things, um, all of the happy things in life that there are to enjoy, even in this crazy year of 2020. We will sign off for now and keep walking those roads less traveled. <laughs>